I am Shay, and this is Tori, and you're listening to Potter Revisited on your local podcast station, or Spotify. <laughs> uh, today we are carrying on with going through the chapters of book one, and we are on chapter five, which has been titled by the author Diagon Alley. And our title, which is Wizard Currency Drives Me Nuts. All right, so at the top, of the podcast, we're just going to talk about some things that we thought were interesting, some little funny moments, things that we thought were cool. So, rereading the chapter right before we recorded, I noticed that Harry thinks it's all a dream and it just makes me feel so sad for him. Like, you know, that panic where you're just like, something really great happens and then you're just like, he wakes up and he's like, oh, it's all a dream. Like, I dreamt this and like, I'm going to have to be stuck with the Dursleys again and just like, elation when he opens his eyes and he sees that Hagrid's still there and it's real and he's leaving. Yeah, it's such a relatable thing, thinking that something good has happened and it's so hard to believe. You need to, like, double check. Like, even I got an internship offer recently and I keep checking my emails just to reconfirm that it really happened because it's so good and exciting. I'm just, like, waiting for it to all fall apart, you know? Yeah. I think especially for, like, Harry, it was so much so quickly and it was such a complete different world that they were suddenly telling him existed like it almost seems like something Dudley would pull us a prank rather like let's have this weird guy come over and pretend Harry has a future and where he can be happy just as a joke yeah I feel like it's the only good thing that's happened to him in his poor 11 years and he's just like this can happen he doesn't believe good things happen to him he has like no context to compare it to because he has no previous experience of good things in the first couple chapters when something happens he either thinks he's gonna get thrown out or he thinks he's it's like not real like I know once we get to the soaring chapter I know he thinks that it's just like he's not supposed to be there and like what if he doesn't get sorted so he just like he's not used to things happening to him that are good so it's just oh this is poor kid it's poor kid indeed <laughs> and also when rereading the chapter um when they take the boat back and Hagrid asks Harry if he would be okay with him um using some magic I noticed that Hagrid doesn't actually say the spell out loud so I was like Hagrid can do nonverbal spells because that's something that's not taught to at least Harry's group until they're in their sixth year. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Because Hagrid was expelled in his third year, but I'm wondering if that's more the dragon... Oh, not the dragon. Hagrid's part dragon, didn't you know? What? This whole time? Everything makes sense now. <laughs> no. I've been watching Avatar The Last Airbender, and dragons are just, like, in my mind right now. But, um, no, he's part giant, so I was wondering if that was the giant blood. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe it's because maybe there's certain spells Hagrid learned before getting expelled, and those are really the only spells he knows, so he's gotten so good at them that he's very, very good at those few spells and can do them to the extent of someone who's quite powerful, so, like, maybe he does that boat spell a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. but maybe it's just one of those spells he uses a lot, so he's gotten very proficient at it because he only has so many spells to use. Like, people only know how to make three meals are always really good at those three meals. <laughs> yep. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the other thing is, once we get into the Leaky Cauldron and into Diagon Alley, we get Ollivander that says, like, you have your mother's eyes, which is our second reference to Harry looks like his dad, but he has his mother's eyes. Yeah. Lily and her eyes. <laughs> it's very important. Looking at Harry's, uh... We have Harry's book list, which is super cool to see all the stuff that the, he needs. Yeah, I love that. And all the book titles. I love reading all like, the, the different stuff they need each year. Yeah, I also really like that, like, when he walks through those doors sort of into Diagon Alley, like, 
everything could still kind of be fake until then because it's just Hagrid and Hagrid could be, a, you know, like a vision of his imagination or something. But when he sees that there's like a full world, it's probably so like just mind blowing. Harry gets a bit overwhelmed because Hagrid's just saying things so casually like, yeah, we have a bank and yeah, with like the goblins run it. And then he sees these, like, these hags and, like, look, like, they talk about dragon spleen or whatever that the shop's selling. And there's owls and there's wands. Yeah. It's sensory overload. Yeah. He's probably just, like, he's probably never been to a bank before, let alone one with goblins. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so crazy. And then he has people that are, like, rushing over, like, tripping over themselves to talk to him. And Hagrid told him he's famous, but, like, this is the first time he's, like actually seeing that like this is real Hagrid's not lying yeah and it's like I just bet it's super overwhelming for him and he's Hagrid hasn't really explained much he does not explain things very well once again why is Hagrid the person doing this job (laughs) yeah I feel like when they explain it to other muggleborns like say like Hermione I'm I'm sure like because I think she said Professor McGonagall came to her house and explained things so I'm sure I'm sure that she explained things to her parents in a much more elegant way and not just, like, overload him like Hagrid did to Harry. Yeah. Because Hagrid knows Harry doesn't know anything, and he's just like, oh yeah, that's this. Like, it's normal. But I'm like, Hagrid, Harry doesn't know that. He doesn't know anything. Like, and Hagrid's just not the best at explaining things. He's not the best at, like, interpreting situations. Like, it's just not, he's not the right choice. I know it's very important to, like, their friendship throughout the series that Hagrid sort of be the person who introduces him to the world, but... It's just a bad choice on Dumbledore's part. Mm-hmm. Once again, Dumbledore is an idiot. Why Dumbledore? Why Dumbledore? Why? One of the cute little things I noticed in this chapter that I really liked is like when Harry's reading the uh, titles of different books, and one of them is uh, "To Befuddle Enemies" by Vindictus Viridian, like as in being vindictive and wanting to piss off your enemies. I was like, that's funny. That's a good one. <laughs> yep. So then we have uh, Harry meets Draco in Madame Milkins, and Draco says that his mom's looking at wands, and his dad's also looking at something else, and you found that confusing. I found that super shady, because what is his mom doing looking at wands? Like, the wand chooses the wizard, so she can't pick a wand for Draco. Draco needs to go there so the wand can pick him. Like, what, is she just looking around, just snooping at what the new models look like? Like, I don't... And maybe since like they're like an upper class family, maybe she says like he she only wants she kind of wants to look at like the best of the best. I mean, but you'd but I know like older families too, isn't it? Like they kind of hand down wands. Like I know Neville gets like his dad's wand, and Elise's for a different reason. Like Ron gets his old, older brother's wand. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it's like I don't know, just like a classist thing. Like his mom wants to check out to see like she wants the best wand for her son. I mean, I guess, but still, in the end, like I feel like all the, there's no the best wand with an exception of like the elder wand. Like I feel. Like like, they're all, like, the same wand could be amazing for Draco, but it would be terrible for Harry, even. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe Narcissa was just, like, over Draco and his 11-year-oldness, and it's like, I need a drink. Or I need a break. <laughs> I need a drink. I'm gonna go look look at wands. I don't know. This isn't Hagrid we're talking about. <laughs> That's Hagrid's business. I mean... I just feel like Narcissa is up to something. Like, I feel like she's not looking at wands. She's, like, on Nocturnally, picking up shady things. Like, this whole looking at wands business seems unnecessary. More like Narcissa's day out, getting away from her husband and 
sun. Like, I'm gonna go look at Juan's deer, and then just, like, books it somewhere else. Yeah, out of there. (laughs) 75 ways to make your hair nicer than your husband's is a potion book, I'm sure, that she's searching out. (laughs) I don't know. It's just shady. I don't trust her. She's up to something. (laughs) Oh, those Malfoys are always up to something, so who knows what's going on. Oh, yeah. Also more on, like, wand lore, I was thinking, and the subject of wands, is that... Another reason why it makes no sense to look at wands without your kid is that, like, you don't, like, the wand will know what type of magic your kid will excel at and sort of choose them based on what it likes. Mm-hmm. And, like, like James, for example, had a wand that fa- favored transfiguration, if you look at wand lore, which makes sense because he was obviously very, very good at transfiguration because he was an animagus. So it's just, like, you can't pick a wand for someone else. Like, maybe you can say, like, I sure would like you to add some bedazzles. Like, my husband has a big old snake head on the end of his wand. I'd like one for my son. But I feel like you don't buy that at the wand shop. Yeah. You know? It's just shady. Yeah, maybe they have people that do engraving or something or get the family crest on it or the family slogan. The family slogan. Be racist. It's good for your economy or something. I don't know. Isn't that the, the Malfoy family slogan? Yeah. Actually, the cool thing is I looked up like about the birth trees and um, wands because it looks like the author used like the Celtic birth trees. So if you look up the dates for like their birthdays, like Harry born in July, so the July birth tree is holly. And I'm sure it coordinates with, like, all the other characters, and they all have, like, meetings and stuff. So I thought that was very interesting. That is interesting. My birth tree. I think both of our birth tree is Rowan. And I, Rowan, I believe. That sounds awesome. So we're born in January. Yeah, so I can link that below if anyone's interested in what their oh, birth I love tree that. is. Actually, no, yours is not Rowan, because you're not you're born at, before the 22nd. So where, what is yours? Yeah. The New Year holiday birth tree. Birch. Okay. You were a birch tree. Birch? That's boring. High energy and highly driven and motivate others. I want like a willow or something whimsical. Driving ambition. That's a Slytherin tree. There you go. I guess. (laughs) I guess. I guess I got the Slytherin tree. That's fair enough, I suppose. There are some beautiful birch trees at my cottage, so I guess I can't entirely hate that choice for myself. Mine are keen visionaries with high ideals. That's also kind of Slytherin-y. Oh. Do you have high ideals? (laughs) Very interesting, but yeah, I like little things like that. The lore. I love wand lore. I think wand lore is so neat. Yeah, I definitely think we could have a whole episode on wand lore in the future. Yeah, I think that would be great. Nerd out on the small things. We love that's what we live for. That's why we're doing this. Yeah, seriously. We just want to talk about your wand wood. <laughs> so then we know that we find out that Harry and Voldemort share the same wand core. It's the phenotype from Fox. We don't know it's from Fox until later in the series, but Ollivander does allude that they have the feather from the same creature, which is unusual, and that their wands are brothers, which definitely is a big plot point later in the series. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because they make it sound very, very rare, but I feel like it would be tedious to come drop off some feathers from your hippogriff or whatever at the local wand shop and just bring one. Like, it feels like animals that give parts of themselves. Yeah, I wonder if it's more, like, they they make it seem like it's rare, but I was wondering, like, how rare is it? Because, like, it seems getting a feather from, like, each, or, like, core from each individual, like, has to be a separate thing. So, like, why do they make brother wands or sister wands, etc., like? Yeah, if you know they can't fight each other, don't make them, or... If that's not a thing people really consider, then, like, it would just be more economical to just, like, this hippogriff is molting, and you take 12 of his feathers, and you make 12 wands, or this dragon's heart string. (laughs) I also don't know if, like, 
it's only certain wand cores that can do that. Like unicorn hair, obviously unicorns have a lot of hair. Yeah. And maybe it could just be related to phoenixes, because we know phoenixes are very rare. Yeah. So maybe there's only a few of them. So it's just... Okay, so they only... You think, like, maybe for animals like unicorns where there's more of them, they can get one hair per unicorn? Yeah. But when there's so few phoenixes, it's like, we've got to take them when we get them, sort of? Yeah, maybe. And it also could just be related to, like, Britain, because we know when in Goblet of Fire, like, Fleur has Avila hair in her uh, wand, and we know that each wand maker is different. So maybe Ollivander does it this way, but, like, other wand makers do it another way. They use different cores... So who, who really knows? Yeah. Also, maybe it's because Dumbledore gave him those two phoenix feathers and, like, you don't want to piss off Dumbledore by saying, oh, I only want one because it's risky business. Like, he's just like, sure, thank you, Dumbledore. So grateful. To Dumbledore instigate the whole thing. Conspiracy theory. Dumbledore instigates everything. (laughs) I will believe just about every conspiracy theory about Dumbledore at this point because he's just all over the place. Okay. Well, moving on from Wands and Ollivander and how he's kind of creepy. He's kind of creepy. I wanted to talk a bit about Harry and Hagrid's relationship as yeah. this is when they're kind of building their friendship. And Hagrid is the first adult Harry meets after he discovered he's a wizard. But Hagrid isn't really acting like an adult to him. They're more like maybe an older brother or like friends. Like Hagrid doesn't act like an adult, like looking after him, although he is the adult that's supposed to be looking after him. Like, they have a very, like, unusual friendship compared to other Harry's other friendships of adults in the series. Like, uh, I noted here that Harry is able to feel more of an equal level to him, and he asks him questions, and Hagrid does give Harry a lot of, like, answers that I prob- you probably yeah. wouldn't give a child. And Hag- Hagrid treats Harry like he's responsible for him, but he's also more like a friend and he shares a lot of himself and he puts a lot in later in the series on Harry, like when he gets Norbert and when yeah. he's a professor and he, he definitely doesn't treat Harry like he's a child, despite the fact that Harry is a child for most of the series. Yeah. It's like Hagrid doesn't talk down to Harry, so it makes it easier for Harry to not have to talk up to Hagrid, except for physically, obviously. <laughs> But uh, I think part of it might be, it's a certain like amount of social awareness to know your audience and know what type of things you should say to a person. And maybe because Hagrid didn't really spend as much time around kids his own age, was isolated kind of at Hogwarts because he was part giant, and then wasn't really around the students because he wasn't seen as a student anymore. Yeah, he probably was, only had relationships with the professors since he, yeah. he was expelled at 13 and then he was... We assume that he lived on this at the school as the gamekeeper from that point on, so he probably only had relationships with adults. So I think it's almost a bit of a deficit in socialization that he doesn't really realize that you're supposed to tailor how you act around people of a different... Like, I'm sure he knows to act to Dumbledore a certain way because he's been around Dumbledore so long and seen how other people treat Dumbledore. He knows you really have to look up and sort of idolize Dumbledore, but you could have a more casual chat with, like, Flitwick... But I think when it comes to, like, kids especially, he just doesn't realize that he's supposed to treat them differently. So he just treats them as if they're equals and friends. I don't know if the relationship they have is, like, healthy, but it's definitely... I just find that it's so much more different than Harry's other, like, relationship, especially with, like, with yeah. Dumbledore, with Mr. Weasley, with all his, like, male, like, adult figures in his life. They're all yeah. very, like... I feel like they're very separate, maybe except for Sirius, like they have a very adult child, like 
relationship with the adults are more like yeah. an authority figure, but Hagrid's just like he's almost just like Ron and Hermione. Like One of the he kids. is kind of more like had more authority over them and he tries to look yeah. at them, but he also they treat he treats them more like a friend and they do the same. And he also like often puts them in situations that the other adults wouldn't. Like he's like, You should sneak out at night to come hang yeah. out with me because I'd like you to come hang out with me, kind of. And most of the other adults would be like, maybe asking Harry to break the rules for safety or yeah, he gets himself in situations, and then they kind of be like, oh, we'll help you, but he allows them to do it. Like, when he gets yeah. Narbert, we'll talk about it later in the series, he gets Narbert, and they're like, well, you can't keep a dragon, so we're going to get Ron's brother to get rid of it. And he just kind of goes along with it, despite the fact that he probably should be dealing with this himself. Yeah. I feel like maybe that's the thing, is that, like, because Hagrid probably didn't have the best, like, problem-solving skills growing up, because he didn't have the best upbringing, sort of... And then he didn't really get to develop those skills. He probably came to Dumbledore with a lot of his issues and Dumbledore would help him. So I don't know if he knows how to sort of deal with a lot of his own issues. He doesn't really have that the practice to just sit mm-hmm. down and think, what is the best solution to this problem? Because even things like getting dragon eggs from strangers in bars don't seem weird to him. Like he just doesn't think things through very much, which I suppose is incredibly Gryffindor of him. But... He, oh yes, that's the one Gryffindor trait. He's just the least like I think that's a big Gryffindor thing is like underthinking things. Like Hermione's very smart, but they often like rush into things and like don't fully think through to the conclusions or the outcomes of things. And that's such a Gryffindor trait to me that like every time Hagrid just goes along with a thing where like the end repercussion is probably terrible, or if you even think about it for five minutes, you'll realize something's afoot. But he's just like, nope, everything's totally fine. That just makes makes me think of when he brought Grop back with him. Yeah, he's it's such a Gryffindor thing to do. It's such a Gryffindor thing to do. Um, it's yeah. it's it's no offense to Gryffindors, but there's a lack of forethought, <laughs> I think. This also reminds me, Hagrid is totally the mom friend because his coat is literally like your one friend that has a big purse that carries everything in it. All the snacks. I feel I am that friend because my purse literally has the most randomest stuff that you could ever need in it. Hermione should have given Hagrid one of those magic purses with the extension charm. Yeah. Also, his big coat just has like, I can't remember, he he pulls a bunch of things out of it. Like, last chapter he pulled like a kettle and sausages and yeah this is money and then harry's describing like all the random things he pulls out of his coat pocket looking for the key to the vault and it's just like this is like when a girl's like looking for her wallet and she's pulling out all her stuff because she can't find it or you can't find your phone every receipt ever like 13 scrunchies a wallet a notebook a novel they started reading three months ago advil like 17 feminine hygiene products yes well, Harry also thinks it's odd that wizards had banks. So I was wondering what he thought that, like, it would be like. Because he's very surprised that, like... He's not really surprised that he has a fortune that he was never told about. I thought that would be the thing that I would be concerned about. Yeah. Like, why did no one tell me that I had all this, like, funds that, like, I could have been using? I could have been wearing new clothing the whole time instead of Dudley's hammy hands. Yeah, like, all the things that he missed out on because no one told him that he either, like had money, but he's concerned, like, oh, we'll just have banks, and the Hagrid's just like, yeah, and goblins run it. <laughs> no context. Like, okay. I guess maybe trying to think of, like, what wizard literature was before Harry Potter, kind of. I mean, even it's, wizards were sort of not that modern. You know, like, maybe in Harry's mind, wizards wouldn't need money because they could just conjure up everything. He doesn't know about, like, the rules of what they can and can't conjure, so, like, why would you... Yeah, I think if you think about magic, you just think, like, it just kind of does anything you want. 
But there are, like, rules in place. But I think maybe that's what it is. He's like, just wave your wand and poof, there's dinner. Or poof, there's the new house you want. Or poof, there's the whatever books you want and all the supplies you need. Like, I mean, he has no context to know. So I think I would even have been surprised if they're like, we're wizards and also this is our bank. I'd be like, why not just use Mm -hmm. a muggle bank? Like, there's so many levels of why early on that I could see coming up. Like, why a bank? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, so funny that Harry's just, like, the, he always thinks of, like, there's things I would think of if I was 11, like, well, I have money, but he's like, oh, wow, there's a wizard bank. But Yeah, I think he's very, like, early on, he's not, his thought process is very, really, like, selfish. Like, he, he isn't used to good things for him, so he doesn't really think about those things. He just, yeah. like, thinks of the broader concepts of things. It's not like, oh, I have lots of money, or, oh, I'm special. It's like, there are a bunch of special people out there, and, like, there's a bank full of special money like doesn't really matter to him at that point that a bunch of it is his it's just like that's so neat <laughs> speaking of going back to Hagrid there is a, great, a lot of great Hagrid moments in this chapter but one of my favorites is Hagrid knitting on the subway it's just like uh, you can just imagine like seeing like the giant of a man and he's probably looking really intimidating and stuff and he's just, like, pulls out his knitting. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Especially because, like, you see those types of things on the metro. Like, I believe it as a, tra- a person who takes oh, the public yeah. transit, you know? I was on the metro once, and I saw a woman with a pet rat, but not, like, a cute tiny pocket rat. Like, a huge New York subway, like, bigger than a the chihuahua-sized rat crawling along her sweater. And, like, people didn't notice at first because it was, like, on her shoulder and sort of just meandering. But it was, like, the hugest rat I've ever seen just casually riding, like, with its human riding the metro. And I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Is this normal? Does anyone else see the giant rat? Yeah, the subway is... No one's taken transit before. The subway, in any place you are in, it's always very interesting. You've got a lot of interesting characters on it. You see quite a lot of things when you ride the transit. It's like the deeper underground it goes, the wilder people get. And also, I was like, wow, Hagrid's, like, Speaking back what I have been saying for the last few chapters, Hagrid is kind of an alcoholic, because I don't really remember all this, but after the Gringotts adventure, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go get a drink because I feel sick. And he just kind of leaves Harry, who, like, is 11 and doesn't know any. He's just found out he's a wizard to, like, go shop by himself. And I'm just, like, priorities, Hagrid. Yeah. That's neglectful. In, like, a normal muggle world when the child's a normal muggle child. I'm just going to leave an 11-year-old alone to go get a drink. But also, in the whole context of it's a whole new world and also you're very special and everyone knows who you are. It's just, it's very Hagrid. It's, again, very, this seems like a good idea at the time and I can't possibly imagine any consequences for these actions. (laughs) And last thing I want to touch on was the first, when they first entered Diagon Alley in the movie, also in the book, it's, um... One of my favorite scenes, you just, like, you feel like that's, like, the moment where you feel like you finally get into the wizarding world, and it's so magical and just heartwarming, and I love the way the film did it. Like, every time I watch that film, I just, that moment just gives me, like, like, everything comes back. Like, all those memories of reading the book and, like, all the magic and the whimsy, like, it's just, like, one of the best moments. I feel like that's a really good one. I feel more nostalgic every time they arrive on the train like that always gets me like I feel like I'm going home when they get off the Hogwarts Express but that moment is really really nice yeah I do love the train journeys but I just remember like just reading about Diagon Alley and thinking back to the scene in the movie it always just like 
brings me back and it's just like just such a good like opening into this whole new world yeah i think there are a couple specific points in the series where they expand the world for you and that's sort of one of the first world expanding moments where the wizarding world goes from being harry and hagrid basically to all these people and all these shops and all the people who would shop at these shops and all the people who would work at these shops and then like it expands again later in goblet of fire with the quidditch world cup and it's like not only is there a whole england and Ireland and Wales and Scotland full of witches and wizards, but other countries full of wizards. And, like, those are two of the key world-expanding moments where you're like, oh, wait, it's Mm -hmm. bigger. Oh, wait, it's bigger than that, even. Which I like. They sort of wean you on to expanding the world at a pace that's kind of comfortable. Yeah, it's definitely... I can't wait to talk more about, like, the world as it expands as the books go on, because that's, like, also, like, there's just so much to talk about with Harry Potter, like, not just the, directly the series and the plot and how things going, but it's just, like, the world building. Yeah, I quite I quite enjoy good world... Bu- I mean, I'm a Tolkien fan, so world building is what I live for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so moving on to our second segment, which is we're just going to talk more in depth about some points in this chapter. Yeah, one of my earlier thoughts is that it's interesting that Harry hasn't come in contact with Voldemort in... 11 years but when Voldemort's literally in the leaky cauldron hanging out on the back of Quirrell's head Harry feels nothing like normally he senses it even though he doesn't know what he's feeling he feels something physically and I wonder like does that have to do with how long that Voldemort's been on Quirrell's head maybe he's not like strong enough to give off Voldemort vibes for Harry to sense I wonder if that's a plot hole or it's just because he's probably so overwhelmed with like all the people he was meeting that he didn't really notice that it hurt because I know sometimes when like you're in a situation where maybe you're, you have some pain but you're so much is going on you don't really feel it or yeah or maybe it's like he hasn't developed his magic at all so maybe it's kind of like part of his magic is sensing Voldemort nearby and because he hasn't exercised that magical muscle really at all intentionally he just can't really but once he starts being more exposed to that he becomes more sensitive to magic and then he can feel these things more I don't know if it's Harry's not strong enough yet or if Voldemort's not strong enough yet or but it's interesting Mm -hmm. or it's a plot hole who knows it feels a little bit like a plot hole (laughs) Just a tiny bit. <laughs> we get Harry's first glimpse at fame, which we talked about a little bit before. So, yeah, he's just, Harry does kind of tells him he's famous, but like how, I don't get how an 11 year old would kind of compete with famous means, especially since Harry's really deprived of a lot of stuff. Like, I don't think they really let him watch TV or like go to the cinema or anything. So, he doesn't really know a lot about like celebrity culture besides oh, like, yes. how he like what Antonia gossips about or something. Yeah. I mean, the royals are probably the closest understanding a general member of society would have at that point. Yeah, I guess. Which is actually interesting to think in context when people like the Malfoys start talking about people who are just better than others. Like, I wonder if, like, that's his only frame of reference. Like, he's like, are the Malfoys royal in the wizarding world like he could have so easily been given such a false understanding well then like i think it's like the same thing as like the rich and like the old families the aristocracy yeah the aristocracy families like the, all the old families that are probably connected to the royals then i think i'm assuming the wizarding family is like the same thing like they're connected so like closely to like old wizard past like they've had big generations of wizards so it's kind of just like the same kind of like class system yeah friggin bourgeoisie <laughs> you had a point about quirrell being the dida teacher 
Oh, yeah. He talks about how he's really fine with studying the Pensacola at the Dark Arts, but then he took a year off to get some first-hand experience, and now he's, like, traumatized forever. Mm-hmm. He's scared of his students. He's scared of his own subject. I just sort of wonder, is this not his first year teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts? Because isn't that the point? Yeah, I actually looked that up because I was really confused because I know there's, like, the jinx that Voldemort had, so there wouldn't be yeah. a DADA teacher that would stay. For more than one year. After he was refused the job. So apparently, I looked it up, and according to the Harry Potter lexicon, he taught muggle studies before, then he did his year off to get experience, and then this was his first year teaching DAD. I can't imagine him wanting to. Like, he's so, I mean, maybe Voldemort wanted him to teach that subject. Yeah, I feel like since he went, he would, he took, like, a leave of absence for a year to get exploring the experience, and that's where he met Voldemort. And then Voldemort's like, well, now you have, you have to teach DADA, mm-hmm. or influenced him to teach DADA, but yeah. I was like, I don't know what the where it it's been said that he taught Muggle studies before and then was DADA. Because that seems like another one of those things they didn't say it in the books. It seems like that's a retcon. It feels like a retcon to me. They're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't find a reference for it, but that's what uh, Harry Potter lexicon's usually pretty good about like accurate information. But that's what it said. So he was a teacher for at Hogwarts, and then he just transferred into a different department. Again, though, feels like a retcon. That's how I feel. It's one of those things that they- Well, I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of those. Oh, so many. It's just like, no, no, he was teaching a, uh, a different subject before, now that I've decided there's a curse. It's not a plot hole. It's a retcon. It's it's never- we. I, I knew the whole time that this is what it was, and I just never said anything about it because I didn't think anyone would notice. Yeah, okay. Uh, I suppose no one expects readers to be as attentive of what they're writing, to what, like, Harry Potter fans have become. Well, I think that Harry Potter was just kind of became expected because there was so much detail that it's, like, when some things just, like, don't make sense, when the most rest of the series is so detailed. It's like, well, like... Yeah. We demand a reason for everything, and we need to overlook every single... Like, why was the chair red? <laughs> what does that mean? It's like some old English teacher being like, the symbolism of this, and you're like, it's a red chair. Yeah. We have to overlook everything now. So Hagrid says some Slytherin, I guess some Slytherin baiting or whatever, that there wasn't a witch or witcher that went bad that wasn't in Slytherin, which seems like the more, like, idea that, like, the author intended, like, Slytherin's a bad house and Gryffindor's the good house. All those bad guys in Slytherin that are all bad. First of all, he's wrong. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we we know that. Second of all, it's, it's also notably wrong, even if you don't have the hindsight of, like, Peter Pettigrew, because Grindelwald wasn't a Slytherin. He didn't even go to Hogwarts, and everyone knows he was a big bad. So it's such a, like, like forgetting the rest of the Wizarding World or haven't forethought to plan out enough about the rest of the Wizarding World. It's such a... Like, I know that there's a lot of biases between houses, which which is why, like, we'll talk about sorting later on as we get to that chapter. But we... But, like, there's definitely... I just feel like it creates a lot of biases. Like, your parents are in one house, so they encourage you to go to their house because they feel like their house is the best. Yeah. And, like, Hagrid was a Gryffindor, so we know that he's encouraging. Yeah. And there's just, like, that rivalry between Slytherin and Gryffindor, so he's like, well, Slytherin's bad, so you don't want to be in that house. Well, I also think it was part of Dumbledore's sort of overall plot. He wanted Harry primed in a certain way by Hagrid, right? He wanted Hagrid mm-hmm. to prime Harry to think Dumbledore's the best, the wisest, and the most respectable. But he definitely probably wanted a proud Gryffindor to talk to him. And then he also wanted Harry to not lean towards Slytherin, because I'm sure Dumbledore knew there are parts of Harry or wanted to make sure Harry turned out the way he wanted him, and the types of influences you'd have around him yeah. if he were to get sorted into Slytherin were not the ones that would help Dumbledore reach 
sort of the ends he was aiming to reach. So it was definitely like he wanted to pre-prime Harry to not be a Slytherin. A Gryffindor probably is best for Dumbledore because he's a Gryffindor, because Harry's parents were Gryffindor, and it lets him sort of push that loyalty. Yeah, I feel like he'd probably want Gryffindor because then he he has the ability to kind of keep an eye on him because Dumbledore is so related to Gryffindor. And we know the Slytherins are kind of like, not outcasts at the school, but there's definitely like a separation between them and the three other houses. Yeah, I think he would have, like, I think Dumbledore would have been okay if Harry ended up in Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw. He could, I feel like he could have worked with it. But he couldn't let Harry be a Slytherin, which is kind of sad because I think... I mean, that would be, like, best case scenario, but I don't think Dumbledore cares about people's feelings enough to have even contacted. Like, if he were a better person than he was, maybe he'd be like, oh, I don't want these two people who are important to my future to be around each other if I know they're not going to, like, get along and be good for each other. But I think it was more like, I can manipulate Harry better, and the people I want around him while I manipulate him are in these houses, so I'm just going to try and Mm -hmm. prime his brain to say, I don't want to be a Slytherin, I don't want to be a Slytherin. Yeah. Because it just makes him easier to manipulate. Because that's, that's... you know, that's good old Dumbledore for you. It also doesn't help that, like, the first person he he meets about, that talks about houses is Malfoy, who already has, like, his biases. So he already kind of doesn't like the way Malfoy comes off. So he's like, oh, if that's a guy that's in Slytherin, I wouldn't be in that house. Yeah. And Hagrid also, like, insults Hufflepuff. And I'm like, Hufflepuff also kind of gets the shaft in, like, the earlier books. Because, what did, I think Malfoy called it, like, a house for, like, duffers. And he's, oh, no, it's Hagrid called it that. And Malfoy told him, like, I'd rather leave if I was in Hufflepuff, wouldn't you? Poor Hufflepuff. Jeez, like, like, Hufflepuff's, like, main trait is, like, loyalty, which I think is a great trait, like... Loyalty is so underrated. It would benefit, I mean, those traits would also be good and encouraged in Harry. Loyalty and stuff to Dumbledore, but also, like, I think to get Harry to do the types of things Dumbledore wanted him to do, Gryffindor was the best choice in the end. Like, that's the house that sort of encourages taking those risks and doing those things. Yeah. You know, like, a Ravenclaw might think things through a bit more and, like, reach out to teachers before going on some of these side quests. I also feel like maybe being Gryffindor hindered Dumbledore's plans because Harry's, like, a very true Gryffindor where he doesn't think things through. Ever. And he also kind of messes with Dumbledore's plans a lot where Dumbledore will tell him, don't do this. But Harry, being a Gryffindor, is like, I'm gonna do this because... and not think about it. Yeah. It's, uh... So Dumbledore kind of has to do a 360 and be like, okay, you know what? We can work with this. We'll have to just... yeah. It's just... But he kind of, like, like, got what he wanted, but, like, he didn't really know Harry before, so he didn't know how Harry was gonna, like, grow into all his recklessness. Yeah. I definitely don't think it was an accident or just a Hagrid moment that he was shit-talking Slytherin. I think it was very much a Dumbledore said, I want you to also make sure he gets... I don't know if Dumbledore would directly say it, but I think, um... It would be beneficial... For you to... <laughs> it would like, be, like, a manipulated thing. Like, he would say something offhandedly about Gryffindor and stuff. And, like, oh, make sure Harry knows all about the houses. Like, Gryffindor. Just something, like, off the head. And, like, Hagrid, I'm assuming, is, like, really proud of Gryffindor. And he knows that, like, Harry's parents are Gryffindors. And that's just, like, I feel like every wizard has a bias to, like, what house they're in. So, yeah. of course, Dumbledore's gonna be, like talk up Gryffindor, but not directly say that because Dumbledore is the manipulator. Yeah, and he doesn't even have to be that clever with what he says with Hagrid because Hagrid's not the most analytical, so we could probably just say, you know, 
it'd be kind of sad if Harry ended up in Slytherin. I feel like it would really make him feel closer to his parents if he'd known that they were, you know, Gryffindors. Yeah, something like that. And uh, little things like, like not even that transparent, you know, like pretty obvious, transparent what he's trying to say. And Hagrid would just be like, oh yeah, it would be nice if Harry was in that. And you're right, Slytherins are the worst. <laughs> like, just enough priming to get yeah. Harry pushed in the direction he wants him to go in. I also like that... Um, Hagrid mentions how you'd be mad to rob Gringotts. Like, that's a good example of foreshadowing. Yeah, they have a lot about Gringotts in this chapter, and just, like, the, the like, uh, the warning the goblins, and, like, Hagrid's like, you're meant to rob it, and all this crazy stuff, and then it kind of comes full circle at the end of the series, where they do break into Gringotts. Yeah, when they do. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was pre-planned. Like, I wonder if the author was like, oh, at some point they're totally gonna break into this place, so they have to specifically say, it would be mad to do this. Or I wonder if Later on, they're like, okay, they have to do something really brave and exciting and big and in, like, a similar setting and a place that we've primed to be very hard to get into. And they're like, oh, wait, we mentioned Gringotts being impossible to break into. Perfect. That's the spot. Yeah. I do wonder, like, how much was pre-planned and how much just, like, kind of came as it was Mm -hmm. going. Interesting to think about. I do like things that kind of, like, are foreshadowed in, like, the first few books and then in the last few books that come full circle, they come back. So we kind of, like, had to keep an eye on which things are, like referenced and uh, we'll come back to when we get into the later series yeah something i thought about a lot was we know reading the series that hagrid is actually in school with voldemort and is voldemort's the reason he got expelled so i'm wondering why it isn't addressed more like hagrid has to know that voldemort was tom riddle or is that like more secretive like just because i feel like he knows that Tom Riddle got him yeah. expelled. He was the prefect that caught him and told everyone that it was him. But, like, does he know that that's Voldemort? And it's just, like, there's so much in that, but, like, they were at school at the same time. Yeah, you'd think he'd at least suspect. But then again, it's Hagrid, so I don't know if suspecting yeah. is necessarily his strong suit. Like, even if he didn't know, I think other people in that situation would be like, this shady kid who gets in all this trouble and is clearly a bad seed sort of disappears and suddenly there's this big scary wizard who has similar interests and have hobbies and voice you know i would say hagrid might not have mm-hmm. figured it all out because hagrid yeah i was just wondering because we know that dumbledore knows because it's a student but maybe it's just not something that's told because he definitely tried to shed that identity as soon as he left yeah. Hogwarts. and we know when he comes back to ask for the job he's changed a lot he doesn't look like the old tom riddle he looks like yeah but it's just like that's just an interesting fact that like Voldemort this big bad that murdered Harry's parents was in school of Hagrid who introduced him to the wizarding world and he was like the reason Hagrid left Hogwarts yeah it seems like I don't know if that story I don't think like the book two was really thought out when this started happening so I feel like the author didn't know that Hagrid had gone mm-hmm. to school with Voldemort yet I feel like that wasn't or she didn't know why Hagrid got expelled yeah they're like oh we got expelled and we'll have a fun reason later and like I don't think yeah. that it was thought out so I don't think at this moment there was any like mm-hmm. oh should I tell Harry I went to school with Voldemort it's more of like a he didn't at that point <laughs> also we touched about this in the beginning of the podcast but So Harry discovers he's rich, and I was wondering, since the Dursleys are all about, like, class and influence, like, how did they never find out that James and Lily were wealthy? Yeah. Um, did they not? I mean, did, 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 like, James and Lily not leave, like, some money and, like, a trust fund that they could access? Like, to me, 
when even in the context of like godparents who agree to be godparents and say yes i'll take your child if something happens Mm -hmm. to me there's also some sort of financial agreement like oh we're gonna leave you some money to pay for their schooling or to cover like there is none of that yeah but we know wizards have wills because dumbledore had a will and and we know sirius had a will that harry was left like all his stuff so i just yeah yeah and the potters are very wealthy so there's gotta be it just seems strange that like Maybe there was some money that, like, in their will was converted to muggle mm-hmm. pounds and went to the Dursleys, but they just weren't spending it on Harry. But yet yeah, the Dursley makes a the Dursleys make a big deal about how they they are taking Harry in, like they give him clothes to wear, they give him food to eat. So I feel like they were doing all the expense themselves because I feel like maybe they wouldn't have cared too much. Like they like, like I feel like they was still would have treated him the same. But maybe they wouldn't care much if he they had access to his money because then like that's also for them to use. Yeah. It seems kind of bad on the Potter's part not to have left some money for the t- raising of their child. Well I just thought of this crazy conspiracy. Like what if they had a will that they gave to Dumbledore? But Dumbledore didn't give it to the ministry or something. Oh. And then because he wanted Harry. Because Dumbledore didn't want them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He wanted Harry to have a miserable childhood and he wanted the Dursleys to hate him. Well, he wanted, he didn't want, like, he just wanted to keep it separate and he wanted Harry to go, maybe they didn't want Harry to go to the Dursleys or like maybe they had more things, like if he did go to the Dursleys, maybe they, they had more stipulations of like stuff. But Dumbledore, that interfered with Dumbledore's plan. So he's like, well, I have... And to keep Harry humble by not having him raised in the wizarding world also helps to not let him have lots of money growing up. That's interesting. Some dark Dumbledore. Dumbledore is such a dick. I wouldn't... Yeah. That's the level of manipulative douchebagger I would expect from Albus Dumbledore. So I'm not even... I think it's a pretty, pretty interesting theory. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just... Although... To be fair, James and Lily were Gryffindors, and I can see them being like, this is who we'll leave our child with, but also we're not going to worry about paying money. What do you mean they'll need money to raise our child? Can't imagine it. Like, it could just be a Gryffindor thing, but I could also see it being a Dumbledore thing. Well, I know they're also in hiding, so maybe they weren't expecting. Like, I know, I feel like they probably should have been expecting, like, something to happen to them. But, like, they had, like, Dumbledore and everything. And, like, we know James, like, trusted his friends. Like, he'd die for them. And he had so much trust in his friend- friends, which is, like, why what happened to them was so, like, upsetting. Because that's yeah. what killed them, pretty much. So I don't know if they really expected, like, something bad to happen. And maybe they just didn't get around to, like, sorting everything out. Yeah. It just... I like that theory, though. I like that Dumbledore messed with it and manipulated yeah. the situation. So Harry would be raised in a way he wanted is... A really solid theory. I also am always a sucker for uh, Dumbledore's such a douche theory. (laughs) Because they all fit canon as far as I'm concerned. I mean, yeah, it works. Once you get to the end of the series and you realize how much strings he was pulling the whole time, it's like, why wouldn't he? Yeah, why would he not? possible. Yeah. I also think Harry having all this wealth too, it brings a lot of interesting challenges because when Ron and him become friends, Ron is kind of his insight to the wizarding world and the society Mm -hmm. and the rules and how things work. But Harry's also, like, he's so new to it, but he has all so much more money than the Weasleys. And it creates, it creates a lot of, like, conflict, kind of, like, inner conflict between Ron and Harry. Yeah. Because Harry has had nothing his entire life, and all he wants to do is share things with his friends. But Ron is kind of, like... Too proud. Too proud to accept it. And, like, but Harry also notes that, like, he would give away all his money if he had a family like the Weasleys. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also good, though, in that... Not having money growing up and then seeing how much the Weasleys are mistreated for not having money and then seeing that, like, most of the bad guys are wealthier in the series. It's easier for Harry to 
fall into what Dumbledore wants him to fall into, which is these yeah. are good guys, these are bad guys, these are the people I want you to like and support. Because of the upbringing Harry had, it makes it a lot easier for him to relate to the people Dumbledore wants him to relate to. Very true. Oh, here's another thing. We meet Griphook. So that's another character that we meet early on that doesn't become a major character or plot point until way at the end of the series. So that's fun. So we have Griphook who brings Harry to his vault, but we also have Griphook who helps Harry break into the, the bank. Yeah, it's nice. It's a full circle moment. I do I do like a good full circle moment. Now, interesting. You have a very Hermione Granger-esque point here on animal rights. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just wondering, because mm-hmm. they make owls deliver mail, and I'm like, what do the owls get out of it? Is it, like, how did it start? Is it animal cruelty? Like, I know they get paid, but it's not them paying for the paper, and, like, how do they train the owls to just know where people are? Like, I say, deliver Shane a letter, and they just know where she lives, or where she is. Yeah, it's a little, um... It's all just all so odd. Yeah, I would say it's not necessarily animal abuse most of the time. Like, I feel like there are carrier pigeons. There are a lot of animals that have jobs. And it seems like from the personality tidbits we get from some of the owls that they don't hate it. Like, Hedwig gets mad if Harry uses a different owl because she's so conspicuous. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels like it's, like, mm-hmm. in their nature. Like, like um, that's, like, their purpose or something. Which is kind of like how they have other, like, species in the wizarding world. The goblins are always yeah. the money. And house elves are, like, servants, and it's just, like, how things are done, but I just thought it was, like, kind of odd. Yeah. Well, I feel like owls are a different context, because they're not, like, the... They're, like, a species. They're, like, a pet. House elves and goblins are all, like, they're all humanoid, right? Like, they're all, as far as I'm concerned, of equal sort of social... No, not social standing in that world, but in my mind as wizards. Like, they're... They have jobs. They drive... You know what I mean? They just... Owls are more of, like, a pet. Like, they're... They're not a, I guess, that level of cognizance. I was wondering if, like, you're a wizard, I guess, then owls kind of, like, they know or something. Because, like, owls are, like, wild. So, like, yeah. wizards have kind of, like, tamed them. So there must be something about wizards that, like, something must have happened years ago when owls just are, like, there to deliver your mail. I mean, I guess it's, like, sort of like humans and how we've domesticated dogs, I guess. Like, we love them, we value them, we take care of them, and in return, they'll, like, protect you if an intruder breaks into your house. Or, like, pick up the newspaper from the driveway and bring it to you. Or, like, I guess it's just, like, they've learned that, like, each of them can benefit from each other. So the owls get to live in, like, the homes of the wizards, which means they're not being eaten by predators. And the owls get to be fed by them, which means they don't have to spend as much time hunting. And in return, they deliver some mail, which most of the time is fair. I guess. Like, it's, like, a mutually beneficial relationship. Like, those little, uh, tiny fish that attach to the side of, like, sharks, and they eat off the barnacles, and that's how they live a happy life. And the sharks are happy because then they don't have all those barnacles, you know? Yeah, and then they're protected, and vice versa. Nice cohabited relationship. Yeah, it's just, like, I always find this stuff interesting. Like, how did this start? Like, we'll probably talk about house elves in the next book, but I'm like, how did, like, that come to be? Like, yeah. how did they come to be servants and et cetera, et cetera? It's definitely, yeah, that's a good, how house elves got to that. But probably because people are assholes. My first guess is house elves got there because people are assholes. But what we have, like, since, like, there's definitely real-world instances, like... Loads, yeah. I mean... Way back to, like, historical times, like, how people... Whenever people can abuse another group of people in order to benefit themselves, they have. That's... Yeah. History for you. We are assholes. 
I think the owls are, I think that it's sort of like a symbiotic relationship where they get what they need from uh, the, the wizards and the wizards give them what they need in return and it works well. My, my theory, I guess, just off of the top of my head right now would be like, it maybe started off where sort of like familiars, like a wizard sometimes in other wizard and witch lore has like a specific animal that they're very close with and they can almost like manipulate and like works towards their goals. So maybe like an owl started off as someone's familiar and they didn't really understand the concept. And so it just became like, oh, maybe all owls are good at these things. I think they always have some kind of like thing to deliver like mail and stuff because that's very much like a fantasy like Game of Thrones they have the ravens so there's always something that's kind of like that's yeah yeah I think it's because there were carrier pigeons in medieval times and most uh, of those types of fantasies sort of take a lot of stuff from actual historical medieval times and definitely because the way technology is so slowed down in the wizarding world that's the kind of thing they would use they're like what's an email why would we email when we can send a bird out in a store (laughs) yeah honestly so going back to draco and the malfoys this is our first instance meeting draco for the first time and we don't know it's draco yeah he's just we learned like hogwarts through draco's perspective as like an upper class like pure blood wizard and I, we also learned what a brat he is. Because I forgot how brat. I, I know Malfoy sucks, like especially in the earlier books. He's just a brat. And I'm like, just that that first incident to get before we even know who he is and how much how he sucks. He's like, I'm like, wow, he's such a brat. Like I feel like my grandma right now, but such a brat. I honestly, it shocks me that it it shocks yeah, me that it took honestly. three books for someone to whack him, <laughs> like just punch him in the face. Um, although no, maybe he. Doesn't take three books, because Neville and Ron get in fight with him at a Quidditch match, yeah. You're right. So, okay, he does get, okay, making sure he gets hit enough, because he deserves it. Yeah, he's just, uh, sometimes, like, I know Draco has his whole, whole story and stuff, and the people really like him to have a redemption story. I don't know how I feel about Draco, but I just remember in the earlier series, he is such a brat, and, oh man, he gets me. Such, I mean... I get it, because there are people like him. Like, i not necessarily that... People do love a redemption story, too. Like, that's such a popular trope to have, like, a bad guy or, like, an anti-hero go through a redemption arc yeah. like Rick kind of did. And that's definitely a really popular trope. So I can definitely see how people see it. Yeah, I just, like, I get it. I get that people want Draco, because Draco's a shitty person because his parents encouraged shitty behavior and wanted him to be that kind of person. That's kind of like Deadly, too. Like, um, Draco and Deadly, they're both, like, what their parents yeah. put them into. And it's not till you're old enough to kind of make your own choices and your own, like, um, you get your own experiences and you're able to make your own, like, thoughts of everything. Yeah. I just think in the timeline of the series, like, the seven books, based on how Draco acts in the later books, he isn't yeah. there yet. He isn't quite in a place where he can have that redemption arc yet. I could see him, like, becoming a better person after the war and, like, when he's grown up and not necessarily living with his parents and he can make some of his own decisions. Like, evolving into a better person who understands that he was a shithead and has a way to go to be a better person. But I don't think he would have gone through that quick enough for it to have made logical timeline sense in the seven books. But, like, I could see him being a better person once he doesn't have his parents around and once he realizes what they went through being assholes and stuff. But I just don't think... Like, I'm fine with people's headcanons being that, like, after the war, Draco became a better person. And I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, he could. I could see him becoming a grown-up and 
Yeah, well, kind of see that he kind of has a moment with Harry at, in the epilogue where, like, we know things have probably changed a lot. Yeah, they've leveled out, you know? And I'm fine with that. Like, that implies that Draco became less horrendous. Um, that was enough for me, but I was never a huge Draco person. So it's not like I wanted much from him. So, I'm, But people can... I, I support the headcanons that Draco turned it around and is less of a little shit. But also, I don't feel deprived of that in the actual novels. We might have to have a Draco is a brat counter for at least the Draco next few books. Because I know I'm probably going to be pointing it out all the time. Like, ah, oh, Draco's a brat. Yeah, he's um such a brat. I, I can see feeling bad for him. But, you know. It, he... Oh, you feel bad for him in the later books, but I just feel like the first three to four books, he's just a brat. Because you don't know in the first few books. You don't know what his yeah, parents are like, really. You don't have enough context, so you're just kind of like, oh, God, this kid is terrible. Like, he's absolutely, like, repulsive. I never understood people who uh, loved Draco as a character early on. I mean, coming from me, a Snape fan, I never understood the Draco. I just, like... I don't, like, it wasn't like Draco, like, I always suspected Snape had more going on, which is... It might have more to do with um, Tom Felton, who portrayed Draco. Yeah. Like, really great. Just how, like, a lot of people like Snape more, I think, because Alan Rickman played him, and Alan Rickman does a great Yeah. Job. Yeah. Tom Felton is delightful. Moving back to Hagrid being the number, number one Dumbledore fan. So we, Her- Hagrid gives nothing but Dumbledore praise in these first two chapters were introduced to him. So I was wondering, is Dumbledore kind of like Hagrid's father figure as well as Harry's father figure? I think it's a little different because I think Hagrid idolizes Dumbledore in a way. Like he almost deifies him. Like he's almost like a god in Hagrid's eyes more than a father. Yeah. Because I can see, I don't see Hagrid as seeing himself as close enough to Dumbledore sort of like status wise to be in that kind of a relationship. Like, it's like a hero worship to me, almost. Like a kid growing up hero worship Sidney Crosby, you know? A Canadian. This is Canada, everyone. So everyone grows up, you know? Or, or Mary-Philippe Poulain, where you're like, that's the greatest of this thing I want to be great at. And so I love them and I support them. And But you don't see them as being close to you. Even though, obviously, Hagrid has a relationship with Dumbledore. I think it's... Even with parent-child relationships, there's a little bit more of, like, a given take sort of i think and i don't think yeah and you always get to a point where you don't like you grow up idolizing your parents and then eventually you realize that they're just people and they have flaws and then it's more like yeah a proper like relationship but you definitely feel like hager has some hero worship and he definitely idolizes dumbledore a lot and he will always boast about dumbledore and like how great he is and anyone disrespects him he gets really aggressive with yeah and he also, he only sees Dumbledore in a good light. And when Dumbledore does bad things, it's hard for him to believe that because he's only ever seen Dumbledore do good things. Like, I just can't imagine. It's different because kids, even little kids, can see when their parents have done something dumb or think their parents, like, what do you mean I can't have ice cream before dinner? And you're mad at them for that, even regardless of how small of an issue it is. But I don't think Hagrid would ever think to argue with Dumbledore or try and sway Dumbledore towards anything, which I think is kind of the difference. Mm-hmm. Like, kids sort of want their parents to want to do things that are good for them, the kid. Like, I think my parents should probably want me to do well in school, and Hagrid does not think Dumbledore should want anything. He'll just, whatever Dumbledore wants is correct. Kind of. 
I don't know if that made any sense. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> That's okay. Jumping into currency in the wizarding world, this is the first time we kind of get the breakdown of how the wizard money works and kind of how we can compare it to our money and our ratios and stuff. So you broke it all down. So my first thought is it's dumb and it's the kind of thing someone like Dumbledore would come up with. Um, It doesn't make any sense. So it's 29 nuts is one sickle. 17 sickles is one... Galleon? Galleon. Galleon? Galleon? I always said... Galleon. Galleon, I don't know. but it might be Galleon. I don't know. 493 nuts in a Galleon. So I want seven Galleons. And then so we sort of have like priced out some of the things Harry pays for to try and get a better understanding of the actual value of these fantastical monies. So his bus ticket costs him 11 sickles. And then a hot chocolate is two sickles. And three butterbeers is six sickles. So I think based on those prices, we've done like a a rough sort of mathing of what we think each one equals. So I have a galleon being 25 US dollars, which kind of makes sense. A sickle being a dollar and 50 cents in US dollars and a nut being five cents (laughs) in US dollars. Which would mean that a wand would then therefore be $175, which to me makes a lot of sense as like an expensive one-time purchase that most people could afford but are kind of expensive for people who aren't in a higher tax bracket. Yeah, that makes sense to me. What's well, kind of like when you think of like university textbook, it's like it's something you need for school. Yeah, and I mean, a wand to me makes sense at that price. Like it's expensive enough that I'm like, wow, that's expensive but it's also cheap enough that it makes sense that most people can afford it comfortably. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so my first question about this money situation is why is the exchange rate so bizarre between the different, like, coin amounts? Like, why is there 29 nuts in one sickle and 17 sickles in one gillion? I feel like she just, the author just did it to be, like, like, different. Like, it's all odd numbers, so they're all, like, when you think of, like, conversion rates, they're usually, like, even numbers are things that make sense. And I just think she wanted it to be, like, really weird and kind of stand out. Like, you don't really think of it as a kid, but, like, now you're, like, 29 nuts is one sickle, and, like, 17 sickles to one galleon. Like, it's all, like, odd numbers and just, like, really weird numbers. Yeah. It just doesn't... I don't know. It seems... So I don't really think if she was thinking it through to, like, actually work. It was just kind of, like... Fun and whimsical. Here's the conversion rate. Like, this is goofy. Let's use these. But I'm like, but why? <laughs> Like, what does a salary look like? You know, like, wow, two weeks work, it's uh, six gillions and 25 sickles and 364 nuts. Like, I don't know. It just seems a little bananas. You had an interesting point about, like, how they get their money and, like, is it deposited into Green Gods? And I think that, like, I think that every thing I do now is, like, direct deposit or e-transfer. And I was like, what do the goblins do? Like, do they get, like, a note, a memo from the ministry? And they're like, okay, move this gold from, like, our reserve into, like, this vault. Yeah. It's just goblins that just, like, they have to spend their day, like, just, like, moving gold from, like, one account to another account. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would make the most sense. I guess payroll is, if you know, every company brings their list of payroll to the bank and they give it to the goblins and the goblins, okay, like, we have to take this many galleons from the Green Gods Bank or from the, um, I don't know, Ministry of Magic vault and... This many go to Arthur Weasley because he's an employee, and this many go to Lucius Malfoy because he's an employee, and they just like move it into all the vaults. I mean, that makes yeah. 
the most sense convenience wise I guess but does everybody have an account at the bank automatically then like well so I think you would assume most people would have a bank but I guess like maybe like, there's definitely people that don't have bank accounts now like some people just don't trust banks so I mean there has to be some like people that be like I want my like I want to be paid in coins or in cash yeah just like in I guess how do you I mean I guess do they tip in the resorting world <laughs> I mean like you have to have coins on you to tip it's not like you're gonna like write a note to Gringotts well, Harry, when Harry gets money, he gets, like, basically a sack yeah. of coins. But it almost seems inconvenient. Like, they're so heavy, and, like... Yeah. Like, I wonder if you can do, like, money vouchers, where, like, you go somewhere, you rent up a tab at a restaurant, and you write a note with your special signature saying, like, deposit this much money from my bank account to the bank account of the restaurant, and then you give it to the restaurant instead of paying, like... And then the bank does the transfer, like, for big payments, like... The wizard equivalent of a car payment, I don't know, like mortgage payments or like a down payment on a house. Like if you need a bunch of cash for something, do you think you can just have it transferred at Gringotts or just like write a... Yeah, it just seems inconvenient for the goblins. And I feel like the goblins don't want to put up with like wizard shenanigans. So they make it like a certain way. They kind of have some types of their own magic to them. Mm -hmm. Maybe their magic is specifically convenient for banking. (laughs) Like they can just snap their fingers and... There must be a reason why they're in charge of gold. Yeah. So you wondered if there was wizarding taxes, and this reminded me you think about. I think the author said something about Hogwarts being like okay, like taxes paid for, kind of like public school, which is why like the Weasleys and stuff can go, and they just had to pay for their supplies. But that could just be a retcon thing where people were like, "How does the tax system work in the Ministry?" And she's just like, "Oh, this is how." But you're like, "Wait, what?" I mean, I guess it it makes sense that everyone would pay some type of, like, income tax or something Mm -hmm. just because the ministry needs to run. Something needs to pay for them. Um, Definitely Hogwarts, I would say, is free to attend, which makes sense. It's just a school. The kids need to go to school to learn so that the ministry can have more employees. So I think it's in their best interest to let everyone get in. That is magical. But, like, I just want to know how their taxation works. Like, I'm very curious about it as a whole like does a certain percentage go towards wizard education and go directly to hogwarts is there a certain percentage that goes into the ministry yeah what's the budget for hogwarts and how is dumbledore handling that because i feel yeah and also like the hospital saint mungo's mungo's because mr weasley has a bunch of treatments at the hospital after he's attacked and they don't seem to worry about medical bills. So I'm assuming... I wonder if there's some kind of NHS thing for the, for the resident world. Because we know England has, like, their free healthcare, which is the yeah. NHS. We have our free healthcare. So I feel like there's... she. It's probably based... Since it's based on... Like, yeah, the it's probably free healthcare. Like, how things are in Britain. So it's probably has some kind of, like, wizard NHS or something. But that needs to be taxed too then, right? So if, like, the... Yeah. You don't pay for your healthcare, you have to... Some taxes need to go to the hospital. Some taxes need to go to the schools. I'm guessing transport. Things like flu network. I don't know if the flu network costs money. And the train to Hogwarts. Like, all these things cost money, so they have to be taxing wizards. But it'd be very interesting to know how, I guess. Like, is it an income tax? Is it just, like, an annual tax? Do the Malfoys pay more because they have more money? Yeah, I don't know how taxing even works in uh, England. Because I know we are one of the most taxed countries. So, like... We just live and breathe tax. Yeah, everything is out the wazoo taxes. But yeah, I just think their banking system is a little weird. And I want more information so I understand how everything runs. Because I'd love to know how salaries are paid to Hogwarts teachers. Like, 
do we think that like there's a base salary for like most teachers and then if you work there longer you get tenure and there's a raise do you get paid a little extra per year if you're the head of house because you have extra responsibilities i was wondering how the the teachers are paid because i know they get like kind of room and board included because i know i think it's stated somewhere that the professors live at the school or at least they live at the school during the term that's kind of like a perk so i was wondering what the do they get for benefits and stuff? I mean, they definitely they get free meals and they get free board, but I'm sure they also have to get paid because a lot of that, like Snape has a house, you know, that they could live other places. They need money to go to the bar at, in the Hogsmeade. Exactly. They need places, money, so they can spend money on things to be neglectful of the students they're supposed to be watching out for. These are just the basics. <laughs> but, um... I also want to wonder if there's, like, bonuses. Like, do you think there's bonuses? Like, if you're the head of house for the team that wins the House Cup, do you get, like, a six billion bonus? Like, is that a thing? Is that why the teachers are so competitive? Or are they just competitive because they're really proud of their houses? That'd be funny. They were competing for, like, head of house because you get, like, a money bonus. Yeah, like, we need our house to win. You get one bonus if your house wins the House Cup, one if your house wins the Quidditch Cup. Or um, or even, like, grades. Like, I wonder if... Because I know teachers, like, they get, like, standardized tests to see how well teachers are doing. I wonder if, like, if your class performs particularly well on the OWLs, if you get a bonus, you know? Which could explain why so many teachers sneaky, hate sneaky. Fred and George. They're, they're ruining their bonus opportunities. Gosh, we're trying to win some free yeah, money. ruining our overall school. And also if you, like, run a club or something. Like, I know... There are, like, clubs at Hogwarts. I mean, the Inquisitorial Squad is a terrible example because it's Umbridge, but... Well, there was, like, the Gobblestones Club and Charms Club, I think, a reference. Yeah, and when there was the Dueling Club, and I wonder if, how it works. Because I know teachers, just in our world, are grotesquely underpaid for what they do and don't get paid extra if they... Yeah, for extra, like, for teams and stuff. At least at public school, they weren't paid for it. Yeah, at least in public school... Um, I mean, I know, like, in the States, like, football coaches get paid more than all of the teachers at schools, because... But yeah, because sports makes the money, and sports are really big in the U.S. for, like, scholarships and stuff, so that's not... I don't think it is here, unless it was, like, maybe a private school or something. So, I think the last topic is... I talked about this a little bit before, but just, like, we... This is our first time kind of seeing other species in the wizarding world. So we meet goblins, we meet griphook, and, like, the owls that I talked about earlier... So goblins got put into this position of holding onto the bank and dealing with the gold for the wizards. And we know later on in the series, we learn more about goblins and how they're fighting for more power and rights that they currently have. So I was wondering, like, just wonder how, like we talked about before, like how all of this kind of came to be and like why goblins are put in, into like a lesser position. Like when I think about magical worlds, I think about all creatures living together so they'd be like wizards and vampires and werewolves and they all kind of live it just makes you think of halloween town that's like the first thing that came to my head but there's probably better examples but i was thinking like lord of the rings like there's elves and there's dwarves and there's men and there's yeah and they all kind of like coexist yeah but like here there's there i think maybe it just like because england is a very classist like society so like there's definitely like the class where like there's like the wizards and then there's like the lower tier, like, the goblins, and, like, the, and then, like, at the bottom, there's the house elves. Yeah, I think it's just an example of, like, wizards have a lot of really strong magic, so they have the ability to suppress other species, and they probably started suppressing other species as soon as they had the power to do so, and it probably just became, like, 
this is what we expect from this group of creatures, and that's what they'll do until they have enough power to stop us from expecting that from them. In the case of the goblins, I would say that, like, goblins and dwarves often in a lot of fantasy lore live in, like, caves, and they're the ones that mine. Like, they're the ones that collect gold and silver. So, like, the mines of Moria in Lord of the Rings and stuff. So, to me, maybe that's part of where it came from. It's, like, this type of species is often the ones that mine and have gold and sort of collect these things. So, maybe they started having the gold, and that's why they're the ones that now control it, because the gold only has the value that people assign to it, but they had it. And so, when wizards decided that, like, gold galleons and silver nuts or whatever are our currency... They were the ones that made it, like made the physical currency for well, them. I know that they're very good with their gold, but obviously we know like making like weapons and stuff, like goblin, go- like goblin gold and like goblin silver is referenced a lot. Yeah, you know the sword of Gryffindor was made from gob- by, by goblins, and we know that the goblins hold it like in really high esteem. So they forge things very much like dwarves do in a lot of fantasy and stuff. So I think that's part of it is that they ended up there because historically in fantasy they're the type of creatures that have access to mines and gold and silver and jewels and such things and then wizards were like we'll give you this and this and this in exchange for you turning that into money we can use so i suppose that's how it started and then after a while the they just started to realize that the deal wasn't working for them as goblins well yes society it developed yeah they were being taken advantage of and then they realized it and so it's the the general pushback whenever you try and fight for more rights in society where there's a group of people who already have those rights think giving it to someone else means taking it away from them because people be like that (laughs) but wizards be like that too (laughs) but i think it's definitely an interesting thing because i think it's There's a line. Umbridge calls it creatures of near-human intelligence when she's talking about the centaurs. But I think that's the thing in a lot of fantasy, is, like, you need to figure out which creatures are written to be characters, sort of. Which ones are, like, higher cognitive creatures, and then which ones are written as, like, pet creatures. You know, like, a hippogriff is a character, but he's not gonna have his own... He's more of an object in the story, sort of. Yeah, same with, like, the owls. Like, they're not, like, species. Exactly. Like, they can have personalities and stuff, but they're not... But they're very much pets, or portrayed as pets. Yeah, they're not sort of given the more advanced cognition that makes them more character-y. I'm not saying that Hedwig isn't a character, but it's a neat line. Yeah, that's interesting to keep track of. Yeah. Well, to keep track of all the species that we come across as the series develops, as, you know, like... Goblins are kind of like the first thing we're introduced to as they're part of like society, but then we get house elves, we get werewolves, and just kind of and the centaurs, obviously. So we get a lot of different creatures that are introduced and kind of like their place in society and how like they're used, etc. So yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to see yeah which creatures fall sort of where because there are a lot of creatures that to me are as smart as wizards. They just aren't given the same opportunities and. I'm not saying it's all very allegorical for real life, but I'm saying that uh, people with power sure do like to keep it and keep it away from other people. Very true. It's interesting because, like, the centaurs are incredibly smart and wise and really good in the divination arts. And I just wonder what would happen if, like, all of the highly cognitive species that are being abused or taken advantage of by the wizards decided to work as a team, you know? 
Because I feel like... Yeah, well, we know there are goblin riots that have happened, because I learned about them in school. So there's definitely been uprisings, but they've never had uprisings where they're all teamed together. It's like they all need to union. Well, it's all, like, probably, like, them. Like, you have, like, a lower class of people that is fighting for rights, but they're still kind of separate themselves from another group because they're not the same, even though they're both fighting for the same thing. They're like, well, if they get rights, then it takes away from me trying to get Exactly. When it, they, and so like, they're all still very like classes and prejudiced about each other. I think it would, yeah, I think Luna Lovegood says it best when she says that if I were Voldemort, that's how I'd want you to feel like you're alone. Like, I think it benefits the oppressors every time the groups they're oppressing don't work together and don't realize that they can help each other. The more they're against each other, the better it is for the oppressive regime. (laughs) But um, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And I think that's something we should return to, to see like how oppressive wizards are of other creatures and how those other creatures deal with creatures, species. And I, I don't know the best way to refer to it. Like the other whimsical creatures and beings, how they sort of work their way through how they're treated and because I feel like they all as a group have a lot of power like if you control the gold you control the gold if you have all of the gold pretty much that isn't pocket money in your vaults you have power you just need to wield it I guess it's interesting I really uh I like that it's an interesting train of thought I've gotten very political here we're gonna have to edit the heck out of this I'm so sorry (laughs) We've gotten really political about the government, about society. This has been uh, Class Warfare with (laughs) Shay and Tori. (laughs) We are now a political podcast. Um, Thank you for listening to whatever this is. And um, we hope you all enjoyed this. And we're sorry. (laughs) We're sorry for not wasting your time. You're welcome for filling your time with this quality content. Yeah. And if you have any questions or theories or want to talk about anything that you heard in this episode, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can email us at PotterRevisitedPodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and we have a link in the description that talks a little bit more about where we got some of the information when it comes to the money conversions. Yes. And about wand, earth trees, and about any other fun things that we find. And we'll see you back when we deep dive into the next chapter, which is when we get to go on the Hogwarts Express. (laughs) Woot (laughs) woot. See you next time.